Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares continues a lesson inspired by Philip's remarkable encounter with an Ethiopian official who just happened to be reading scriptures about the Messiah. Gospel advancement. We're talking about how we in our generation are to be Philip to our co-workers and our neighbors and our extended family to be able to preach the good news to them. That's our job. This is not about the preacher's curriculum and the thing that preachers are supposed to do. This is about every person in the church regardless of what your role might be in terms of service for the church, to be useful to God, to help guide people through the truth to Christ. While more people identify as atheist or agnostic, many still struggle with questions about their purpose and existence. Do your friends and co-workers know you're available to answer their questions about God? Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains how you can engage people in conversations about Christ and why you need to see yourself as a Bible guide. It's another lesson from our brand new study in Acts chapter 8 titled, Gospel Advance. And now here's Pastor Mike with an eye-opening message titled, Knowing How the Scriptures Use Us. I recently returned from my undergraduate alma mater after being there for uh, hours and hours of board meetings. And this time, because of scheduling, we were in a conference room that had a window that looked out into the plaza of the uh, college. And of course, it's this time of year where everyone is packing up their stuff And we saw for two days here people with their luggage heading out to the parking lots and getting picked up and getting in taxis and all the rest and heading away from the campus. And I thought about that as uh, I thought about my last day as a student there on that campus and leaving. And it took me back to the more dramatic day, which was the first day I was ever on that campus. And I was absolutely lost. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know the campus map. I hadn't been there for any visitation day. You know, I, I was just, I was clueless. And thankfully, my college had anticipated my bewilderment, uh, just as every college does, with something called Freshman Orientation Week which is helpful because when you don't know anything about where you're supposed to go or how it works or where the dining hall is, it's good to have some people there with t-shirts that immediately see you pull up with that sense of confusion and ignorance and now they spot you and they're there to help and they come, they see your, your duffel bag and your backpack and they look at your paperwork and say, okay, you go this way and in my case up to the 16th floor of the dorms over here in this building and then we're gonna show you around into the library and about your meal cards and here's how you get to the dining hall and all those things uh, were definitely needed. I needed a helpful guide to get me around when I didn't know which way was up. We, in the Christian life, more than we choose to believe, we are playing that role in this world as people are bewildered about what we believe, about what God has taught, what the Bible teaches. Uh, We've been studying Acts chapter 8, and we see a great example today as we've broken up this narrative about the Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith in Christ and Philip being that guide He was a guide as he saw the bewilderment in the eyes of this Ethiopian official who was in this chariot going along this desert road and he was opening the scroll of Isaiah and didn't understand what it meant. And he was a much better Bible school freshman than I was because he knew that he didn't know. And he said, I need some help, I need a guide. 
And by God's grace and through Philip's preparation, he was able that day to walk this Ethiopian from the text that he was wondering and confused about all the way to faith in Christ. But I want to look today, if you take your Bibles, at this very interesting passage and have you think about what if God had tagged you to step up and answer somebody's question about the Bible, ultimately in need of a clarification regarding Christ in the gospel, would you be ready for that? Matter of fact, I would like you to think if God had tagged you as the passage last week uh, helped us to think through and said, hey, here is a guy who's confused about an Old Testament passage and what he really needs is for you to explain Isaiah 53 to him. I just wonder if, if it wasn't Philip, but your name was in the text and you were called into that chariot to sit down next to him. Um, how would that narrative have played out? How would that have gone? This is not Peter. This is not the preaching pastor. This is Philip. Philip was in charge of setting up tables for the uh, Hellenistic widows in the church. So uh, it's not as though God tapped a, uh, a seminary grad to do this. He, he tagged this guy who was in the church as a servant like many of you are today. And he says, I need you to explain this confusing text to this guy and ultimately clarify where he needs to be with Christ. I want you to think about your role and think about how ready am I to answer questions in other people's lives regarding the truth of scripture. So let's dive into the middle of this. We broke it up into a few parts here, but let's look at the middle of this narrative in, in chapter eight, verse 30. We're gonna read and study through verse 35 this morning. As the English Standard Version puts it, here it goes, so Philip, verse 30, ran to him, that Ethiopian official, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand it? And he said, Talk about a good Bible student. Here he comes. How can I unless someone guides me? <laughs> I don't get it. I can't. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Pretend that's you. Here, can you explain this? Now Luke breaks into the narrative here in verse 32 and tells us about the text that he was reading and records it here for us. Isaiah chapter 53, this specifically is verses 7 and 8. And he quotes it this way. It says, now the passage he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? It's already odd that he's speaking about this person in the third person, so it doesn't seem like it's about him. And yet we have examples like of Jeremiah breaking into a lament about his role in the nation as a prophet and how embattled he was. And so maybe it's like that Jeremiah passage where it seems like everything fits together well, that he's talking about himself in the third person and how hard it is to be a prophet. Now, is that what's going on here? And of course, all the rest of the context would help us understand that this is far different than just it's really hard being a preacher these days. It gets into all these things about being crushed by the Lord, becoming a guilt offering for the sins of people, justifying by the death the lives of other people, being raised from the dead, even though they were in the grave, they come out and see their generation, their offspring. I mean, what this is really odd if this is about Isaiah. So is it about him? Is it about something else? Verse 35, and Philip opened his mouth, which I pray that you will this week, beginning with this scripture, whatever the question might be, whatever the biblical idea might be, the confusing thing about Christianity or the Bible might be, and he told him the good news about 
Jesus. That's what this series has been about. Gospel advancement. We're talking about how we in our generation are to be Philip to our coworkers and our neighbors and our extended family to be able to preach the good news to them. That's our job. This is not about the preacher's curriculum and the thing that preachers are supposed to do. This is about every person in the church, regardless of what your role might be in terms of service for the church, to be useful to God, to help guide people through the truth to Christ. They got questions about it. You say, well, my friends don't have any questions about the Bible. My friends are not reading the Bible. Well, before you go there, let's first start with that idea of you being on the campus as someone who should be experienced and kind of know your way around with a t-shirt on that says, here, I'm here to help, ask me. I, I need you to start identifying yourself the way that Philip here is going to be identified. Let's just look at that word again at the beginning of this passage. It says, how can I, verse 31, unless someone guides me? Philip's running up. There's a connection, a relationship. Verse 30, he asks the question, so he starts the conversation. Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? That's a very important word used a few times in the New Testament to describe people that are trying to guide other people into the right understanding of the truth. I need a guide, he says. And so he said, Philip, why don't you be my guide? Number one on your outline, it'd be good for us to think of ourselves this way. You need to see yourself as a Bible guide. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are a guide to other people, and you might as well wear a t-shirt that says, if you have questions about the Bible, ask me. We're going to pass those out at the end of the service. That at least ought to be your mindset. We have no t-shirts for you. We get a lot of free t-shirts here at Compass, but that's a theoretical t-shirt that I want you to put on this morning. I am ready to see myself as not just a student of the Bible so that I can sit back and go, wow, I've really got a lot of great spiritual truths in place to live my Christian life, and it sure is nice because I got all my questions answered. No, 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 no. It's not about you getting your questions answered. That's important. Leads you to faith in Christ. But now as a Christian, I see myself as entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Well, I got the gospel. Well, to get people to rightly understand the gospel, they've got questions. They're confused. Pastor Mike, I already told you, none of my friends read the Bible. Wrong. Your friends do read the Bible. May not be Genesis through Revelation. May not be that they're opening up a printed book of the Bible. But let me turn you to Romans chapter 1 and remind you that God is constantly speaking to every non-Christian associate in your sphere of activity every single week. He is constantly speaking. I'll give you four ways. As the starting of the book of Romans is getting us to chapter 4, which is the justification by faith. I'm going to be justified, made right before God, by my trust in the Messiah. That transfer of trust is going to make me right before God, my sins forgiven. That's how it starts. How blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. That's a great, great thing in chapter 4. But we got three chapters of preparation. And part of this is that no one should have an excuse about not knowing the basics and the basics are learned in four different ways in chapters one through three. So let's take a look at them. One in chapter one, two in chapter two, and one in chapter three. Let's start in the middle of chapter one, Romans chapter one. Drop down, if you would, to verse number 19. Romans 1, 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Who's them? Look at verse 18. Those who are in the threat of God's wrath, God's judgment. So God has got non-Christians in view here, and God, the God information they need, you're thinking, well, it's between Genesis and Revelation. Well, it is. It's there propositionally clearly taught. But the Bible says God's already making it known to them. He's made it known to them, and it's plain. He's even describing it. It is a plain communication of his truth to them. How can that be? Because God has shown it to them. You don't think your, your coworkers are reading the Bible? They're reading the Bible. They're reading the, the, the other 
category that we would call God's revelation. We call it in theology the difference between special revelation and general revelation. Well, general revelation is not much help. Oh, it is help. As a matter of fact, verse 20 says his invisible attributes, the things about God we need to know, that he's a creator, that he's holy, that he's just, that he's loving, those kinds of things, oh, they've been, they've been seen, right? The power of God, the divine nature of God have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. God has put it all on display. The billboards are there in the things that have been made. How clear is God communicating How much are your non-Christian friends reading God's book? Well, they're reading it every single day, so much so that they are without excuse. They can't say, well, I didn't know. I never read the Bible. I can't be be judged. The Bible says there's enough information coming through general revelation for everyone to have enough information to know some basics about God, God information, God attributes that assemble together in my mind to make me know that I need Christ. That's important. And here's the thing, they're interpreting that book of Revelation every single day. And they talk to you about it. Sometimes they might even muse about being inquisitive about it. You're there to be their guide. You ever have a coworker talk about what a beautiful day it is? I mean, maybe one of those days when they really mean it. What a beautiful day. What a nice day to go walk through. It's beautiful out there. There's God speaking to them. It's not like they're saying, hey, I read Isaiah 53 this morning. I don't understand it. Would you help me? But they are saying, man, I read the book of creation this morning. Man, I was really impressed with that. They might see something that's put out in National Geographic about some Hubble telescope pictures and looking at the, the satellite universes out there, right? Look, look at the solar system here and the galaxy over there. And Man, these are amazing photos like we've never seen before. It's amazing. I'm, I'm in awe of that. God is speaking in creation. You know where we're going if you know your Bible. Go to chapter two. He's also speaking to them every day internally. Look at verse 15 of chapter two, Romans chapter two, verse 15. They, again, look back, talking about people that have no, they've never been to a Bible study, right? These are the Gentiles that don't have the Jewish Torahs. They're not reading Isaiah 53. But they show that the work of the law, this is Romans 2, 15, is written, written, that's communication, written on their hearts, Well, how is it written on their hearts? Well, because that software, that communication, that revelation from God is manifest in their conscience while their conscience also bears witness. It's actively bearing witness. Their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. You get some coworker that's down, you start asking questions, maybe they trust you, some kind of confidant tells you about their guilt. They feel guilty about something they've done. Feel guilty about it. You might want to ask, Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? I'm a Bible guide. (laughs) I'm here to help you understand your conscience and how that's put there, that ethical, moral communication of God that is written on your heart. God is speaking to you in that. Hey, when you were falsely accused and you sat there in your own heart indignant about the fact that I didn't do that. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? God is speaking to you in that in you excusing yourself in that situation because you know that you're innocent of what you've charged. That's God at work. We're not relativists. We we don't believe that whatever the majority of people think about me, well, that's true. See, they know that. It's written on their hearts that they know that. God is speaking to them. God wrote a book, and it's a book of nature. It's a book of conscience, the internal conscience of human beings, the moral direction and compass in their lives. Now, can creation be wrongly read? Absolutely. We're supposed to get in before they start bowing down to creatures and, and becoming so infatuated that they worship and make an idol out of creation. Same thing with conscience. 
And we just let this internal guide become some subjective rudder for their lives. So we have to get in there and say, well, let me tell you what the conscience is doing. You got to go and recognize that God wants you to understand it in light of what he's revealed. And there's so many things that are going to testify to the truth of God's written law. And he's written a part of that, the essence of part of that on your conscience. So I got to get in there and I got to be their guide. Don't walk into that room. That's not the right room. Walk in over here. You're on the right path, at least in sensing that there's something here. Let me just explain to you what it is. And as long as we're in chapter two, let's get the third one here in verse 17. The Jews, of course, as compared to the Gentiles, at least theoretically in this discussion, are those that do have the law. They're reading the scrolls. And he says, hey, you that have been to Sunday school, if you call yourself a Jew or rely on the law and you boast in God and know his will, you can see this dripping sarcasm about to start here, and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law. And if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law, this information, this holy book, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? That's how the chapter started. The hypocrisy of those who pull out the law and they say, look, I can quote these things when I am in a pickle or I'm in a situation where I need to say, hey, they're wrong. Have you ever heard a non-Christian quote things like, hey, don't judge lest you be judged? Those are the holy words of Christ. Those words, all down to every jot and tittle as it's put, every, every stroke of the law, every letter of every word, he says, my words, Jesus said, will never pass away. Said of the Old Testament, Isaiah 40, said of Christ in the Gospels, what I say will never pass. You are quoting holy scripture. And you're doing it in a way that, by the way, is not quite the way Christ intended for that axiom to be stated. As a matter of fact, when they say that, say, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? People in hurt, they've seen enough television shows and movies to watch at least five or six or seven or eight or nine scenes through their life of some pastor or priest standing by a graveside quoting Psalm 23, not a non-Christian that knows Psalm 23, at least in our culture that you're going to rub shoulders with in your office. And they think perhaps, you know, I'm going to hold on to God. He's my good shepherd and get me through the hard times. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. They're quoting holy scripture. And you need to say, oh, this is not foxhole really. Do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand what you are quoting? There's a lot of golden rule. You got to treat others, right? The way you want to be treated. I've known a lot of non-Christians that have stated that. My job as a Bible guide, do you understand what you are reading? I want to take you to rightly understand that. Oh, by the way, in our day, if you're thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with our culture or you're a product of our generation and the epistemology and philosophy of our generation, all this sounds really, really abrasive to you because you're thinking, well, I'm going to walk in with all the answers. How can I do that? You can because there is objective truth. If you're unfortunately, been, your brain has been washed by thinking that everyone has their own truth and their own truth is valid, even if they conflict with other people's truths, then you don't understand reality. Matter of fact, you don't want your surgeon or your accountant to be relativists, right? You just don't. You want them to play by rules that everyone agrees upon. The general accounting principles, you'd like that to be the reality for your tax guy. That's the realities that we live with when it really matters. And if we want to say now everything else, morality, ethics, God, religion, afterlife, that's all just up to whatever people think or want. Well, there is a God, and he is who he is, and he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself most clearly within Scripture, and that needs to be rightly understood. Don't just quote Scripture without knowing what you're saying. Matter of fact, he's reflected that pretty clearly with some basics about his attributes in creation, 
He's speaking morally and ethically in your conscience. Fourthly, chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. Oh, my friends don't read the Bible. I bet they read the headlines, though, don't they? Do you think they ever read the headlines? Do you ever think they throw up their hands and say things like verse 12? All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I mean, they lose hope. They groan at the headlines. Matter of fact, they look at the violence. They say their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Anyone's got a Twitter account knows the reality of these things, right? Everyone sees it. Their feet are swift to shed blood, verse 15. And in their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. Those are biblical commentaries on reality. And when they read the news about the Palestinians and the, is, uh, the Israelis fighting on the Temple Mount, they're like, I don't get it. Why can't we have peace? We can't have peace. Here's one thing. I think it was Chesterton or someone pithily said, you want the most empirically evidential proof of the Bible? It's this. It's that all have sinned. Every skeptic should be able to say, I see what God is saying in the Bible. And when they read the headlines and they groan over it and they wonder why we can't have peace in the Middle East or, or unity in our culture, you need to say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? When you see crime, when you see violence, when you see abuse, when you see catastrophe in moral evil and natural evil, I, I want to be able to say, hey, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand? I'd like to guide you to think rightly about the problem of evil. It's clear in the Bible as to why it's there. It's clear why natural evil becomes the frame for moral evil in Genesis chapter 3. I'd like to help you understand that. My non-Christian associates, they don't read the Bible. They do read the Bible. God is speaking to them every day. Creation, conscience, scripture. They know enough of that, just kind of rubbing shoulders with everybody in the world. And certainly they know about the problem of sin. They groan about it all the time. They wish the world were different than it is. All of these things we have answers to. Philip says, I can, I can answer that for you. And so you and I need to say, that's my job. I'm a Bible guide. That's my job. I want to get you into the Bible. I want you to help you understand what God has said. God has spoken. Here he has been very clear. Let me help you understand it. Well, I don't think I'd be very good at it. Let's get you better at it. You're listening to Focal Point. And we're in a series called Gospel Advance. And today our Bible teacher, Pastor Mike Fabares, may have pushed some of us out of our comfort zone with his new message called Knowing How the Scriptures Use Us. The complete uncut version of this series is available on the Focal Point app and online at focalpointradio.org. And while you're online, check out one of the many resources available to you called Ask Pastor Mike. Not only can you send Pastor Mike any of your questions about God, the Bible, and Christianity, but you can also read some of the questions we've received over the years and get biblical answers. In the Ask Pastor Mike archives, you'll discover deep questions like, Is there a hell? And is Jesus the only way to salvation? As well as surprising questions like, Is it okay to get plastic surgery? Just go online to focalpointradio.org and click on the tab labeled Ask Pastor Mike. Well, Pastor Mike never sugarcoats the Bible, and in this series, we're learning that we need to be ready to provide accurate biblical answers to the questions people have about God. So to equip yourself for these conversations, keep listening to Focal Point every day. And also get a copy of this month's featured resource titled, How to Know God Exists, Solid Reasons to Believe in God, Discover Truth, and Find Meaning in Your Life, by apologist and evangelist Josh McDowell and Thomas Williams. 
It's available this month when you make a generous donation to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, write to us at Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And thanks for your support. Well, after years of praying and anticipating a family, many couples struggle through the heartache of an empty home. So what encouragement does the Bible offer for couples without children? I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back to listen tomorrow when Pastor Mike Fabares conducts a sensitive conversation about the topic of infertility. Find out what happens when hope seems lost. That's coming up on a special episode of Ask Pastor Mike, Friday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear. But we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's Word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.